Hello, my name is Michal Katz, and I head the Investment and Corporate Banking Division at Mizuho Americas. Welcome to the Digital Horizons Leaders Podcast, where we speak with the people at the vanguard of planning for and responding to the seismic changes being delivered by Digital Transformation 3.0. Welcome to the Digital Horizons Leaders Podcast. My name is Melissa Mandel, and I am Managing Director and Head of Business Marketing and Analytics for Mizuho America's Investment and Corporate Banking Group. Recently, John Sue, Executive Vice President, Corporate Development, and Treasurer of AMC Networks, sat down with us as part of our Digital Horizons Leaders Series. In his present role, John is responsible for corporate development, including M&A, strategic partnerships, deal sourcing and execution, treasury operations, such as cash management and capital structure initiatives, management functions, including insurance and hedging activities, investor relations, and finally, digital investments for AMC Ventures. John has led AMC Ventures' first digital investment in successful exits at Drama Fever, RLJ Entertainment and Fubo TV and investments in Philo TV and Macro Ventures. So the topic here is digital transformation. And uh, I can't think of a, a sector that isn't impacted as, as much as media. So why don't we talk about some of the trends? And especially at AMC Networks, you know, you're part of an industry that's undergoing massive change in the last few years. How has that mass adoption of technology by your customers changed how you operate your business? It's never been more exciting to me in media than today. When you look at the variety and amount of content available, it's never been more rewarding for consumers and creators. You know, more stories are being told than ever from creators with different backgrounds, histories, and experiences, and stories new and old are being reimagined and told with new viewpoints. And I think technology is really leading that change. You know, what's really changed in the last few years is that consumers are now accustomed to having what they want, when they want it, and how they want it. I think technology has really accelerated the personalization of media. And as a content provider, our job is to try to address those needs. You know, however, you know, even with all the technological changes, there's a consistent theme throughout history in that great content, great storytelling, you know, it's key for media companies to connect with consumers, you know, to thrive. You know, our challenge today is really to maintain the storytelling connection with consumers in a world of too many choices. And so, you know, you still subscribe to Content is King, which has obviously reigned throughout you know, year after year. Yeah, I, you know, I don't think that's ever going to change. I think that, you know, consumers, you know, in a personalized world, they're looking for stories and, and, and people that look like them, that, you know, reflects their experiences. And I think that, you know, the, the shift from mass market to, to personal uh, personalization, I think is really exciting. And as you think about your own business and the shift of linear TV, cable networks and streaming platforms, how do you think that plays out? You know, are these mediums mutually exclusive? Do they coexist? You know, how do you think this plays out? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that's something that all investors and, you know, operators are, are, are kind of you know dealing with. I think, you know, the key to this is that, you know, the changing landscape is really nothing new, right? It happened from theaters to broadcast, broadcast to cable, cable to streaming, 
and will continue to evolve with the next technological innovation. I think if you look at the market, they all coexist today, but occupy different parts of the value chain. I think it's, it's never really about a zero-sum game. You know, the key to the evolution is that each innovation gave consumers more choice and personalization. And I think that, you know, when I look at the market evolving, you know, again, I, I look at it with excitement, not with fear. That's great. And I think you touched on an important point, which is this personalization, this ind individualization. And, you know, as, as consumers are seeking that personalized content geared toward their, their taste, you know, in lieu of this one size fits all platform, a cable bundle, we've seen someone like yourselves at AMC really tuning into that with your streaming platforms such as Shutter, uh, Acorn TV. How do you think the rest of the industry is reacting? You know, I, I think, you know, obviously we all have different strategies and, and, and how we're tackling the problem. But I think the industry overall is really kind of, you know, very focused on scale. But, you know, I'm not sure they're focusing on the right scale. I think, you know, scale in my mind is the ability to really connect with an audience, maintain that connection and really defend it. Uh, I think the real issue for con the content industry is really shifting from a B2B business model to a B2C one, right? So in the past, the identification, onboarding, customer maintenance was all borne by our distribution partners. In a B2C world, those costs are now being burdened by the streamers. You know, this is why, you know, we're very focused, you know, on lifetime value to subscribers and our specific particular model. I think that you have to take these costs into consideration as you sort of pivot your analog business to digital. You know, the idea that large scale industrialization of production and content development without considering this cost shift is where I think people probably will get themselves into trouble. You know, as more companies hold back their libraries and original content to their own platforms, the confusion for the consumer is really only getting worse. You know, I think that, you know, when you see sort of how companies are dealing with the problem, you know, some companies are, are really trying to replicate the Netflix model, right? And so I think that the hard challenge there is that, you know, what exactly, you know, even Netflix isn't operating the Netflix model. They're not doing what they were doing four years ago, never mind 10 years ago, right? And especially... Given the balkanization of content, you know, it's, it's a real difficult path to success if you're trying to be everything for everyone. I think when you look back in history, you know, Netflix's customer base initially was built on the back of the best of other people's content libraries, right? They only picked the best of proven libraries and consumers were conditioned that they were going to get everything they want by tuning into Netflix. And then when Netflix saw that content providers were pulling back, they launched their original programming strategy and they, and they continue to adapt as, as they do more international productions today. But if you look at the, you know, the fragmentation of media from broadcast to cable, right, as an example, you know, broadcast was general entertainment and cable networks developed to service particular interests, whether it was sports, food, home, history, dramas or art. You know, I think cable networks program differently and at different co uh, cost points than broadcast networks. You know, while no single cable network was as big as a broadcaster initially, over time, the collective networks grew to significant scale. And, and that's what I really think is happening to streaming today, right? There, there are, are going to be a couple of large general entertainment streamers, but there's plenty of room for dedicated targeted platforms. You know, our platforms at AMC are really designed to be complements to the general entertainment services. If you like The Crown, Bridgerton, or British-style dramas, you'll find plenty of content to explore on Acorn, right? While the general entertainment services will have a couple hundred hours of British-style content, we have thousands of hours on Acorn. And similarly, you know, Shudder will have a much deeper and larger horror library when compared to the other services, uh, and which brings people there. And, and I think that 
because consumers know exactly what they're going to find on these targeted platforms, they tend to stay. You know, if you are a British style drama fan, horror, indie, or black content consumer, you'll likely find these services to be a key part of your subscription portfolio. And I think that what's important to us is that this translates into lower churn, you know, a higher and longer lifetime and more creative lifetime value for us. And, you know, in fact, it's, you know, it's very similar to the specialty retail model. And so when I talk to analysts and investors, there's also this fear that if you're not spending billions of content, you're going to be locked out of, of the content wars, which, you know, I, it's just not true. I think there's more content and more brilliant storytellers and creators than ever before. And I think the real danger in my mind is to continue your existing practices and content designed for a linear appointment viewing model and moving it to a streaming revenue model and expecting it to work. You know, I, I don't think it will work. I think people have the ability to choose where they spend their money and move from service you know, to service if they don't deem your service of value or core. And I think in a D2C world, you're better off not onboarding a subscriber who you know you'll lose. It's actually value destructive. And you know, you bring up a, a great point around complementary, which sort of leads me to one of my next questions. I think depending on who you ask in the industry, you know, consumers will subscribe to a number of streaming platforms. Some say three, four, five, six, depending on who you ask. Do you see the pendulum swinging the other way where, you know, consumers start to rationalize, you know, I have too many services, I need to narrow down. I'm going to focus on just a couple. And then as part of that question, how do you think AVOD or, you know, fast services have impacted consumers' willingness to pay for content? Yeah, no, you know, it's actually really exciting, you know, right now. I think that consumers are offered a variety and, and, you know, a plethora of choices. I think that the interesting part about it is even when you look at, you know, they're at the different price points, I think consumers react differently. I think that if you're, you know, five or six dollars a month and you think about, you know, what it costs to stop at Starbucks this morning, you know, it is not a tremendous amount of money, especially if you offer value in, the, in which they're not, you know, they don't turn on and say, oh, I don't find anything I want to watch. I think that there is a portfolio there. I think there are, it's going to be a, a, a demo mix depending on, you know, how the family is constructed, whether it's there's children or there's, you know, primary adults whether they're older or younger. And I think, you know, different sort of obviously with different demos, people have different sensitivities to, to the price point. But that said, I think that media, you know, uh, video media is still a very efficient and I think a very cost-effective way for entertainment. You know, I think that likely you'll probably, you know, right now most of the services are experiencing potentially bundling within their own companies. But you know, there may be a world where there's cross-bundling, you know, again, where I think it brings efficiencies for people. But I think the key to this is that it does offer consumers a bit of an a la carte way of selecting and paying for only what they want. And I think that obviously there's efficiencies in that model and there's inefficiencies in that model. But I think that also, you know, Avon and Fast is really coming in, you know, at a really interesting level where I think consumers are expecting those models to be ad supported and obviously very low priced. But that said, that model won't be able to sustain the high quality content, the more expensive content that some of the SVOD businesses will have. And so I think that in a world where I do believe that because of consumer demands that you'll find all these services to grow. But I think the key to any any successful business is that you want to be in, in the leading tier of those services and not sort of the, 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 the bottom tier. Because at the end of the day, I think consumers are so overwhelmed with choices that if you don't have a distinct value proposition, it's hard to bring that consumer back. And that's what really 
for a subscription model business or a D2C business, I think that's a critical key that you have to be able to solve. Right. Great point. Great point. Let's shift a little bit towards technology. We've seen the build out now of 5G and computing capacity on devices, every, you know, whether it's your phone, whether it's your iPad. How do you see this evolving in the future in terms of the landscape, whether it's, you know, watching content in the movie theater? You know, are people still going to go to movie theaters when you can watch it at home or watch it on your phone? How do you see technology and specifically 5G and incremental computing capacity changing the environment? It's a very dangerous area to try to forecast, right? Because I think that pretty much most people who try to do this for a living get, you know, get it wrong. I think that the the amazing part is the innovation that we're seeing, you know, across all these different sort of the landscapes. I think that, you know, it boils down to the experience, right? Are you looking for a, a communal experience? Are you looking for a personal experience? Are you looking for a big screen, small screen, all that good stuff? And I learn, you know, uh, all these new terms every year, right? You know, lean back, 10 foot experience, you know, curated, non-curated. Look, I, I think at the end of the day, with all this innovation, I think that you find that storytelling is evolving into new formats, right? These new fa- formats and forms actually you know, create new ways of expressing creativity, right? And also, you know, uh, develop new ways of consumption that, frankly, you know, I don't think anyone can imagine, you know, even 15 years ago when the, when the first iPhone rolled out, right? I think the, the tech development, it has really kind of impacted how, how that content is formatted and developed and, 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 you know, even with the storytelling, which I think is ultimately good for consumers. I think that disruption is real and, and I don't see any path of it reversing but I think that, you know, it's hard to prognosticate because, you know, who knew a several, sec- you know, a several second video on TikTok would be what consumers would be spending, you know, millions of hours a day consuming, right? But I, but I think the key to that is as a content creator, I think you have to understand how that innovation is, is impacting you. But I think the good news also is that consumers will have different ways and, and different expectations, you know, even throughout the day, right? So what might be okay while you're waiting for a bus maybe not what you're looking for when you're trying to unwind, you know, uh, late at night. So I think that the key to this is you can't jam a story told in long-term format in a short form, expect it to work. But I think that the key to this also is you need to be partnering with creators who are native to the format you're trying to be be successful in. And I think that technology has unlocked the possibilities and it is only limited by imagination at this point. And on that point, as we think about, you know, AMC and how you formulate your own strategy, you obviously get a lot of data around who's watching what, how many subscribers, how does using that data impact how you formulate your strategy? You know, data is core to everything we do, right? From, from both the revenue and expense side. I think what is important about the, the, the D2C business is that, you know, we do have customized data on you know, what people are watching, what they're starting, what they're finishing and so forth. And so it gives us a real good ability versus, you know, traditional, so many viewers showed up and, you know, and, and that and that type of data. I think we try to use it to really work more efficiently, right? I think that whether it's marketing or, or it's programming, I think it's hard not to, to use that data in, in a smart way. I think that the hardest part is that you are somewhat overwhelmed by the amount of data and then, you know, trying to Turn that data into information, I think, is the hardest part. I think that everyone's trying to offer you a different take on, on what the consumer performance or, or, or asset performance. And I think it takes, you know, a real good team 
to kind of, you know, separate from the wheat from the chaff. And I, and I think that we deploy it not only in SFOD, but also on our advertising business, right? So, you know, even with the ratings pressures, data helps us improve ad efficiency. So our, you know, our ad waste, meaning that consumers not seeing an ad fully, has decreased, you know, over the past several years because our, our ability better to target and I think that, you know, that provides a lot of value to our advertising partners. And so by integrating data in our ad business and offering additional value ad services to our partners, it allows us to improve CPM uh, and really kind of continue to maintain ad sales momentum. So data is so, it's everywhere. It's hard, so hard to, you know, kind of point to this piece is more valuable than that. But I think the key to that is that you need a team that can actually turn that data into actions. And I, and I think that, you know, that's a skill that, you know, when you're a B2B, you know, you may not have to be as proficient as a B2C model. And it's something that, you know, we're, we're constantly try, striving to improve. Great. And, and sticking a little bit with technology across many industries, in, I think, including media, the democratization of technologies somewhat leveled the playing field for smaller companies, startups to compete against some of the more traditional established media companies. And from your perspective, you know, do you think that's been true for the entertainment industry? And has innovation been driven mostly by incumbents or startups? What's your take on that? Yeah, you know, there are a lot of great businesses in this industry. They're all trying to push the envelope. But I do feel like having been able to put on the venture capital hat, I do have a special, you know, affection for startups. I think that, especially given you know the very venture-friendly environment, you know, we're in a world where you know so many entrepreneurs are solving problems that I didn't even know we had. Right? I think that being a large, you know, incumbent, you're always you know limited by the fear of disrupting your existing success. Where I think startups don't have that problem; they have the ability to kind of think differently day one. Right? And so. You know, I think that not everything will work, but I think the critical value they bring to investors, the ability to kind of explore paths and strategies that large incumbents are less nimble to try or, or less willing to try. But I think that it's amazing how when we partner with some of these sort of startups that they have the ability to kind of to, to really test and break things relatively quickly. And I think that, you know, that I always laugh is if you're going to fail, fail fast. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you just don't get in a larger organization. But I think that the ability to work as a large organization, especially with the startups, it's a very, you know, uh, sort of symbiotic relationship, you know, where we try to bring sort of best in class capabilities and help them kind of get through the, the blocking and tackling. But, you know, the key for what we try to do is try to be of assistance to help the entrepreneurs really kind of, you know, try to achieve their dreams. And so it, it's, a, it's an area that I think it's very exciting. I think it continues to be, ex, you know, super exciting. And I think that it's hard to replicate, you know, success from one model to another. But it's great when you're working with so many more teams outside of your, your, your organization that is trying to try to figure out, you know, how the world is evolving. Right. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, as you pointed out in your role for AMC Ventures, I mean, you've been involved with so many content and startup streaming companies. What kind of investments are you focused on? You know, what are the characteristics that you find the most appealing I look for businesses and management teams that want to disrupt my business. You know, I, I think I look for, for smart people who are willing to tell me I'm doing things wrong because I think I love that debate. I love that way of kind of working together collaboratively to try to kind of figure out, you know, all the different pieces uh, on the chessboard. The primary thing I really look for is I look for smart management teams with ambitious goals. You know, I, I know 
you know, a lot of the startup plans, you know, won't fall accordingly to, to, the, to the plan. But I, I, I do look to their teams that really kind of fail fast, pivot and innovate. We try to, you know, look for teams to help us look around the corner. But we also, you know, we balance that with the ability of some of these businesses to scale, right? And so just to give a little bit of history, you know, our streaming strategy here started out of our venture group. And so, you know, through partnerships and targeted streamers, virtual MVPDs and new content developers, you know, we were able to tap into many teams to help refine our long-term, you know, streaming strategy. And so, in fact, you know, our streaming business today is run by one of the teams that we initially invested in and then subsequently acquired. And so I think that without the venture business, we would not be where we are today. Uh, and I think that there's still many, many great uh, entrepreneurs that we have yet to meet. And, you know, we're excited to work in that area to define new, new uh, and the next great things. We've talked a lot about the opportunities that, that's out in front. So why don't we flip a little bit towards some of the risks and challenges, especially in your roles of head of corporate development? What are some of the challenges and threats that you need to stay out in front of? I think this is the hardest one. My biggest fear is being complacent and, and too hard in my existing views or strategies. I think that the market is changing so quickly. And so, you know, even things that we have looked at in years past that may not have worked, you know, maybe the right strategy today. And so, you know, I think you can obviously be too early in the business and you can stay in the business and an existing business too long. Uh, and I think in a corporate development, it's really important to keep an ongoing dialogue and a good pulse of the industry, you know, and issues. And it's always, you know, helpful if you can be of assistance to others, big and small, but you never know where the next great business idea will come from. And so it's really continuing to maintain that dialogue and, and really the pulse of that market, which is hard to do because there's just so much happening in the, in the, in, in the industry. But I think that what is exciting about our platform is that we do have a, a good, stable business that we can leverage off of to do the next great thing, which, you know, some companies don't have that luxury. But I think that in terms of, of corporate development, I think it's key to really stay in front of the really, you know, changing market. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's important to point out that AMC certainly has a, a more unique strategy versus call it Disney and, and Netflix. It's really been met with success. And um, we obviously wish you all the best on that. As we think about wrapping this up, just something on the personal side, you know, what sort of advice would you have for your younger self starting out in, in the media and entertainment industry? <laughs> this is one of the things when, as you get older, you start thinking about, you know, uh, what would I have done differently? No, look, I, I think, you know, a lot of this kind of reflects the work we do here also. And I think having working at AMC for so long and with sort of with serial entrepreneurs, that, you know, um, at, at its core, I think what I would tell myself, you know, if I was starting out would be, you know, be humble, listen, but speak up. You know, you never know how your contributions, you know, no matter big or small, will impact your business or industry. I think, you know, you have to have conviction and pursue your passions. But, you know, the key is, you know, when you're young, you're always afraid of, of failing, failure and making a mistake. But really, don't be afraid of those failures, right? But the, the key to that is, you know, make sure you learn from them, you know, both your own and from others. And I think, you know, I think my favorite quote from Winston Churchill is that, success consists from going from failure to failure without the loss of enthusiasm, right? And so I think that like AMC, where we're doing things differently with the large Disney's of the world, if you have conviction, you're able to execute. And I think that, you know, if I was giving myself advice, I think the keys to that is to have that conviction early and not be afraid to do things differently. 
That's great. Well, I do think we're just about out of time. So, John, I, I want to thank you for being on. You know, it's always great to have these discussions with you and uh, appreciate your time for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Digital Horizons Leaders Podcast. Visit MizuhaGroup.com for more episodes in the series and read more on the trends and technologies emerging from Digital Transformation 3.0. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or recommendation from any Mizuho entity to the listener. Neither Mizuho nor any of its affiliates make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or the completeness of the statements or any of the information contained in this podcast and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct or indirect or consequential losses or damage is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Mizuho, and Mizuho is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of the podcast by any listener is not to be taken as the giving of investment advice by Mizuho, nor to constitute that person a client of any Mizuho entity. For additional disclaimers and regulatory disclosures, please visit mizuhogroup.com forward slash Americas.